You know, people think of photography as this very objective medium that you click the shutter and it documented reality, but that, you know, that's not really at all the case. An example that I always talk about when thinking about this or explaining it to someone is that there's this uh, Stephen Shore image from American Surfaces that's a picture of some badlands, and then there's like a guardrail on the side of the road uh, in the front of the frame with the badlands behind it. And thinking about that picture, if he had taken, you know, three steps forward and taken the picture and excluded the guardrail, it's a totally different picture. Every photographer, every time you make an image, you're doing that same thing, whether you consciously know it or not. I mean, so everything you're doing is really totally subjective. On this week's episode, we're talking with Noah Waldeck from Subjectively Objective. Welcome back to another episode of The Contact Sheet and just got to apologize right off the start. This one's a little bit late, basically missed a week here. Uh, things have just been a little crazy. I was in the UK and then I traveled back to Canada, had to quarantine. Uh, and now I'm just here trying to get everything uh, in order to go back to the UK. So I do have a bunch of interviews uh, done and a, kind of a backlog of them, but uh, just was a little difficult over the last bit finding time to uh, sit down and get this edited and up, but should be back on track after this one. Um, anyways, excited to share this interview with you guys. Uh, today on the show, I have Noah Waldeck from Subjectively Objective, and I'm sure that a lot of you are familiar with Noah uh, and his gallery, and personally, I'm a big fan of his work uh, and what he's put together with Subjectively Objective. And it was really great to chat with him uh, and just have the opportunity to ask him a bunch of questions about photo projects, publishing, sequencing, uh, all those types of things that, like me, I'm sure you guys are all curious about. And this interview is definitely a little bit of a long one, but there was just a lot to talk about. And I feel like there's some really valuable advice in here, uh, not only for creating physical products uh, like a book, but also just different ways of approaching projects, uh, telling a story, things like that. So I hope you all enjoyed this one. Uh, and if you aren't yet following Noah or Subjectively Objective, uh, make sure you t check out his pages and definitely give him a follow. Okay, let's jump into it. No, thanks for uh, joining me here on the show and want to obviously get into uh, quite a bit to do with subjectively objective uh, a little later on, but would just love to start by talking about your, your own personal work uh, first, because uh, yeah, you're not just a, a gallery owner and a curator, but you are also a photographer and you just going on your website, you have quite a, a big body of work. So um, like, how did that all begin for you? How did photography first first uh, start? Uh, I would say I first got interested in photography back in high school. So it's been something that I've pretty much focused seriously on ever since then. So I first started probably making, you know, photographing maybe back in like 2002. Um, by the time I was finished with high school, I had actually put out uh, my first little self-published book that was like, I felt like the, the best work that I had over the course of maybe like 2003 to 2005. Um, and so it was just a little self-published um, thing that was, uh, it was inkjet printed. I found some two-sided inkjet paper and um, I knew someone who also had a, a little bindery machine that they had for some self-published books that they did. So I ended up making a few copies of those is kind of like my, uh, final high school graduation project. I went to kind of a weird 
alternative high school and so you kind of could do arty things as as your uh as your kind of your main thing there um and so i really spent a lot of time focusing on photography there and then uh once i uh when got my uh undergrad bfa um in photography i really was focusing on things in a way that not everyone does i don't feel like it was some people are kind of still trying to find themselves there and i guess in a way i did but i really was taking every opportunity any assignment i had taking that and making it instead of just you know making work that fulfilled some type of requirement for the assignment taking it and making it something that i felt like was uh fulfilled the requirements of the assignment but also made work that i was interested in making that i felt like contributed to my uh broader body of work and you know kind of creating a voice for myself so um yeah that's that's kind of how i got started well it's really cool to to hear that and and uh see that you kind of had this awareness quite early in a way because you know it's different for everyone and it, i think it takes some people um you know different amounts of time to be able to really get a grasp of what they're what they're trying to say right and and i know especially um uh say earlier when you're studying for a lot of people that's just a time of like trying to even figure out what they're tr- interested in or, or want to make or, or want to say so it's neat to hear that you kind of had this this kind of drive and sounds like somewhat of this direction right from the the beginning there yeah yeah definitely i feel like by the time i was in college i diff was already really kind of understanding the the kind of work that i was interested in wanted to make of course that's evolved over time um but it was something where i i mean i would say i i thought of my thesis work uh in undergrad probably the way a lot of people think of uh doing their masters or something like that whereas actually Hmm. um my uh my blue water series which is a series I spent two years working on with a, an 8x10 view camera documenting a place. I actually moved there uh, and lived there during that time. That actually sprung out of my thesis work. So um, it was something I, I was taking pretty seriously already at that point. That's really neat, man, to hear that. I, I, I mean, personally, I feel like it's only been the last couple of years for me that I've really started to to get a better understanding of my direction and, and possibilities in the photography world. Um, you know, I've mentioned this a number of times just about, you know, the, a, a good portion of my career was spent doing traditional landscape photography. But looking at that now, I feel like my approach was very much just like creating these individual images that then I would lump into categories, essentially, you know, so there was no like uh, story or, or, or um or kind of bigger body of work with them it was almost like i was just making these pieces and then i had all these different like buckets that they went in and they kind of just sat there individually so uh for me it's only been recently that i've you know really started to discover uh the potential with these kind of story driven bodies of work uh and then that's kind of i feel like that's given me a lot of um kind of energy and and purpose as well so certainly it has taken me quite a, a long time to get to that point though yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, what you're describing is uh, an approach that a lot of people first coming to photography, particularly um, when they're coming to it from a self-taught or even just kind of discovering it on their own. Maybe they've had some because your your background is in in video production. Um, is that something that for you did you 
come to photography first or video first or how did that how did that work for you yeah so i was always interested in in photography but i went to school for film production um so my like i never ever went and had um actual i i guess um schooling when it came to photography so everything on that like obviously there were things that kind of um related to one another but for the most part um everything was self-taught when it came to you know making still images and and what i knew in that world essentially yeah no and i like i said i think definitely with all the the work i see as a curator um i see a lot of people that are um because that's something i i have a lot of focus on as far as what i'm doing i'm always trying to um, give people sometimes their very first opportunity to have their work shown anywhere, even if it's just on my Instagram page. And so I see people mm -hmm. in all different stages of their kind of development as a photographer. And there's a lot of people who are in that kind of, they don't really have bodies of work or as far as uh, some type of project that has a, you know, some type of larger conceptual narrative. It's basically here are all of my landscape pictures. Here are all of my portraits. Mm -hmm. um, you know, here are all of my uh, pictures of cities or, or whatever. But um, so I think that's that's a pretty natural development uh, direction that a lot of people take. But yeah, I would say I've always had a kind of a, a different and probably just a nothing right or wrong. Um, but my my direction that I came from, it is always I always was pretty focused from a from an early on spot that I kind of knew what I wanted to do. Um, and if anything, uh even now, um, I'm still, I'm a very prolific shooter. Um, but my challenge now is, uh, with all the things I have going on, uh, actually finding time to continue to actually put together things into bodies of work, because I kind of have two, um, two different approaches as far as shooting. I, I listened to your conversation with, uh, Kyler and he was talking about, uh, you know, pre-visualizing what you want to make as far as a project and things like that. That's definitely something that I've made bodies of work. For instance, Blue Water, like I was talking about, that's definitely something while I was shooting that work, I basically was out there looking for images that I saw as like requisite pieces of the puzzle that kind of made up my portrait of this place. And so it's not necessarily mm. about how anyone else sees the place, but really personally for me, how do I see this place? How do I relate to it? What interests me about the place? And so then I was looking for things that I feel like are almost, um, you know, kind of uh, icons or uh, things that really kind of, uh, you know, symbolize the different aspects of this place and, you know, finding an image that you're like, well, I really, you know, this is a big part of this. There's an image that it's actually a uh, I feel like kind of one of the ones that really symbolized that project to me, but I have this image of a, of a blank billboard on the side of the freeway. Um, and that was something while I was living up there and working on the project, it was something that was very strange seeing most areas, you know, billboards are usually filled with stuff, but at that time in this place, mm -hmm. th there was an awful lot of blank billboards that you would see driving down the freeway, which is kind of unusual. And so I feel like that was one of those things that, like I needed to have an image of that because that was something that really kind of spoke to me about the place and kind of gave some of the character of what it was. That's actually the, it's interesting that you mentioned that, um, this, this idea of like, well, you, you mentioning how you, you 
actually go about things in, in a couple different ways because that is that was my next question that I wanted to ask you because looking at you know looking at your website and looking at the the different projects that you have on there um, you know something like Blue Water when I look at that it, it comes across like yeah there's a this was a, a, a long-term project and there was a lot of um, probably direction to it as it was being made but then I look at some of I think you had one portfolio called Huron where it was just the these images made from the same location in a cottage you were staying in, right? And and some of these projects that you're doing seem so um, kind of like free and, and and loose in a way, um, which is kind of in contrast to to something like Blue Water. So just really curious about um, you know how you balance those two approaches. Yeah, so that's actually an interesting thing. Um, so I guess on one hand, um, I'm definitely very into making that type of you know, large format documentary kind of work, uh, you know, in the tradition of, uh, you know, the seventies photographers Shore and, uh, Meyerwitz and Sternfeld and Eggleston, that type of mm-hmm. type of stuff. But then I also, um, am really into, and I feel like have a lot of influence, um, by more like conceptual stuff. Um, think of, uh, like, like Ed Ruscha's photography, although I love his mm-hmm. paintings too, but um, that type of thing where, so Huron is kind of one of those ones where it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm already in this place photographing this, this large scale project, but then, you know, I see that I was renting a cottage during the off season on the lake, which is actually really, it's one of those places that um, there's not a super long, and I'm sure there's a lot of places in Canada like this too. There's not a very long like holiday summer season. So they only can actually rent mm-hmm. out the cottage for like two months. But then during the off season, it basically just sits there. And so you, I was able to rent it super affordably. I just had to move out for like two months during the summer while they actually made their money off of it. <laughs> um, and so, uh, but you know, seeing there like being on Lake Huron, it's just one of those like, over the course of a few minutes, the, the, the mood and the atmosphere of the lake can completely change. And so that was one of those things where it's really, it's like a typology, just kind of studying the different variations of it. And it is something like that is, so it's kind of more in that, um, again, kind of more of that conceptual, uh, like sixties photography style. But then I also kind of shooting incidentally all the time. I mean, I always, I shoot a, a lot of Instax, um, Fuji Instax now, mm-hmm. which I, I originally got into that back um, probably around like 2006 or seven. I bought a Polaroid camera when I was hanging out with some friends from a, a Meyer in the middle of the night, and I started shooting with a, a Polaroid 600 and shooting stuff that was very much more free because I'd already been shooting a lot of four by five at that time. And so shooting with a large format camera, I mean, it's a wonderful experience, particularly eight by 10. Um, there's really nothing else like it. It's so slow and uh, contemplative. It's almost like a meditative experience that you really are there and you take the time to find, you know, should I move my tripod over six inches so I can get these tangent points mm-hmm. between two objects to really line up uh, you know, in the most perfect way that you can. And you know that when you take it, like you really got it, like that's, um, that's what it is. But then you also, I felt like I needed something on the other end of the spectrum that was much more freeing. And that's why I was originally drawn to the, the Polaroid, um, integral pack film camera is because basically on that camera, 
there, there was no settings at all. You basically you had a shutter, and that was it. You, you, the only it's thing like the you're controlling opposite. is, yeah, is what you chose to, you know, how you composed it and what you chose to take a picture of. But you had almost no technical control of it whatsoever. The flash fired whether you wanted it to or not, if it felt like it needed to. Um, and so I shot a lot of Polaroid up until Polaroid went out of business and they stopped making film. And then I did. Uh, one last project with it where I took a road trip with my sister and over the course of four days I shot the last hundred sheets I had sequentially and said okay I'm done I'm not going to shoot any more Polaroid film um, hmm. because I am someone that feels like and uh, I know a lot of people who are into film photography and stuff like the kind of experimental things of it trying new films seeing how things turn out and there's a little bit of randomness and chance in it that's definitely not I mean, I appreciate that approach with other people's work, but that's not an approach that I have at all. I want to have my tool function exactly how I expect it to function every time, and I just find it frustrating when sure. when things don't turn out. And so the idea of continuing to shoot with a film stock that I knew there's going to be a point where I'm not going to be able to get it anymore. Like if I'm in the middle of a project, you know, what happens? I'm out of film and I can't get it anymore. Like I, I didn't want to deal with that. So it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to put this to bed uh, with the Polaroid and then, uh, you know, probably within a, I don't know, maybe like a year and a half later, they had started selling uh, Fuji Instax film in the U S it's actually interesting. They've, they've been making it since the eighties in Japan, but uh Polaroid, hmm. uh, didn't allow them to sell it here, um, due to a copyright, um, or, you know, trademark type issue as far as the process, you know, I do miss Polaroid, um, film and what it was i did i liked the square format but um instax is something that's really totally taken the place of that for me and i do in a lot of ways it actually is superior to polaroid film it's it's more consistent the colors are uh, a little bit poppier and the camera has a really um it's 800 speed film so it has this the flash is really powerful for it and so i utilize that a lot both shooting stuff you know, at night sometimes, or even shooting, um, you know, if, if you look at my, some of my newer, um, instant work, I did the instant winter books a couple of years ago, um, where I had one, uh, book that I was all stuff I shot in Michigan where I live, uh, during the winter. And then I also had a bunch of stuff I shot in Florida during the winter, since I uh, have some family down there that I go to visit regularly. And so looking at these two very different places. I mean, the light and everything's totally different. I'm interested in the same type of kind of vernacular subject matter, but seeing it through those two, uh, two different places at the same time. But the, the Michigan stuff, I use the flash a lot, like when it's snowing, for instance, and you get this kind of cool, uh, effect that I actually originally first saw probably, um, uh, with Lars, uh, Thunborg, or I think that's how you pronounce it, work where he was shooting at night with a, uh, a flash and with the snow and stuff. And it's this really interesting thing. But um, yeah, I, I really do like the way the, the Fuji Instax film works for that. It has this very, uh, this really pop to it that you can get as far as with the color and the contrast and everything. It is a very, still a very limited camera. There's even now, I mean, I, I really pretty much always know how an image is going to turn out when I shoot it, but there's certain times though, I'll still take an image wanting it to turn out, but then I, I realize like, nope, it's just too dark. Like you can't get a good exposure right now. It's just not possible. <laughs> 
I got to say, I love the uh, variety in your work in terms of, you know, you having this long-term project shot on 8x10, um, you know, it's a very slow process, and then going and through your other portfolios and seeing, you know, these projects, um, like the ones that we just talked about. And it's it's encouraging in a way, just because, like, I think, and especially if this is something that I've been experiencing recently, is, like, I think it's easy at times to kind of put constraints on things where you feel like, okay, if I don't work on this project for like three years and shoot it on, you know, four by five and plan it out for X amount of months, it's not good enough kind of thing, you know? So it's, but obviously that's, a, that's not the case. And it's, so it's just cool to see these projects that are like a little more loose, a lot more kind of free and even, you know, even things that are created over like a three day road trip or something. Um, because right now for me, like I, I'm back in in uh, Canada, just got here. I'm going to be here for a couple months as I go through this visa process. And the one thing I really want to do is start working on uh, creating some work around this area that where I kind of grew up, this more like northern area. Um, but like my first thought was like, well, I'm only here for two months, right? Is it worth it? But it's interesting. Now I'm noticing, okay, like, you know, there's no reason why I can't just start something and see where it goes and and you know, just disregard at this moment right now the amount of time that needs may need to go into it or, or may not. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a really interesting thing as far as even relates to my type of process. Like I said, I feel like I, I actually, I, I talked about two, but I feel like I really have kind of three different uh, avenues that I work in. I have the long-term documentary project style, and then I have kind of more of the conceptual work style where it may be some type of typology or like I have another body of work, 35 views of tropical foliage at night. I shot that all in one mm -hmm. night and it's this very like when it, the piece is displayed, it's all just in like a big grid on the wall and you just have all these different like little kind of vignettes of the way, um, you know, the, that Fuji Instax cameras flash just basically if something's past the flash range, it just falls off into darkness. And so it kind of isolates things. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, like that's a project like I said, I shot that in, in one evening. So, um, but then there's also, like I said, a lot of my work is stuff that I shoot either just kind of on an ongoing basis. I do a lot of stuff where I'm shooting, you know, uh, while traveling on road trips and stuff like that, whether or not that becomes a sing, I mean, I have done a couple bodies of work where it's like, okay, here's the road trip, everything I shot on the road trip, this is the project. But what I'm doing the most shooting of now is kind of just, like I said, incidental stuff, everyday things. I see something, I shoot it, but then that kind of work also combines with while traveling, you get more images like that of things you're looking for that are very much, uh, things that are a lot of times you're, you know, you're just stumbling upon them. You maybe you're even out looking to shoot, but you're, you don't necessarily like, Hey, here's this great spot. And I'm looking for, you know, this certain type of lighting condition, you know, in this perfect spot. It's just like, whatever happens, you're there at this time. There was a shot there. Maybe if you had been there yeah. 20 minutes later, there, there was no shot there. And so you, you know, so it's different. It's, you know, whether it's, and that's something too, I feel like that type of work is what I have a huge backlog of that I have many different bodies of work to create out of all of the thousands of images that I have that I've shot that I feel good about. But, you know, it's kind of seeing what you have and then figuring out how they work together. I mean, sometimes there's certain projects that once they start to develop in that vein, I feel like then you're like, okay, well, I am looking for more images that kind of work with these other images that I already have. 
but I'm also doing a lot yeah. of shooting that it's just something that I find interesting. And then, you know, eventually maybe there's some type of uh, narrative that kind of grows out seeing, okay, here's a set of images that work to start to work together. You know, maybe then you work on developing it further, but maybe you didn't necessarily have an idea while you were shooting it. But then it's like I said, though, like talking about the blue water, there was definitely times there where I said, okay, here, I want a picture of this thing. Here's the spot. And then I waited till, you know, the light was right or there was the, you know, the right conditions that I felt like, okay, here's the time that I want to make this image of this particular <laughs> thing. So I definitely, I think, I think both approaches can be really valuable. It just kind of depends on what type of work you're trying to make. And then also, you know, what type of work can you make? I think that's something for a lot of people is that, you know, there may be, maybe you have this dream to make this long-term documentary project about some faraway place, but it's just, it's really difficult to do because you only can travel there so often and stuff like that. Whereas maybe you could be making interesting work on a much more uh, regular basis, just in your, you know, kind of day-to-day travels or any little trips you're taking, you know, that I don't feel like they're mutually exclusive at all. I feel like there's a, a really good opportunity to be able to do both, um, you know, as you yeah. see fit. Well, and and I love hearing that because for me personally, like there's a, a ton of appeal to doing a long-term project that's a lot more kind of, um, you know, uh, structured and thought that you know um a lot more thought goes into it right from the start maybe in terms of um you know direction and expectations and stuff but then i also love just going out and and you know letting this kind of curiosity and this intuition guide me at times just to go and make images for the sake of of making them and seeing where things go um so i love this like it doesn't have to just be one approach it could be uh it could be both at the same time um a while back when I was uh, doing a lot of traveling and working on s- some of my um, American Southwest stuff, um, we got down into like the South and, and uh, over into like Florida and stuff. And uh, I just picked up like an old point and shoot and, and some expired film. And for like a couple weeks, I just worked on like documenting this kind of um, like these like snowbird areas. So like uh, South Carolina, Florida and stuff like that. And it was like this departure from how I was working before. And it just felt really kind of free and, and uh, you know, the expectations were pretty low. Yet at the same time, I had this really kind of strong idea of what I wanted to do. And, and that was kind of my first experience with, you know, just letting go a little bit and, and, um, and playing around. And uh, I was actually really happy with how a lot of that stuff turned out. So I love the idea of, you know, being able to approach things both ways, even at the same time. Yeah, no, I, th- I think sometimes it can be, I know for myself personally, I feel like having both of those elements is, makes me feel like, uh, I can still be, uh, you know, making work and having that creative outlet regardless of what I'm doing. Um, you know, at that moment, I feel like right now I actually, I am, kind of gearing up to start another long-term documentary project um, because it's been a while since I've really done one of those. Um, And I've been doing a lot more of the incidental kind of stuff in between. Um, So they're they're kind of those, that balance, like I said, that first, that first day that I bought that Polaroid camera, it was like kind of like a revelation to me that like, Oh, here's another way I can shoot where I feel like totally free. I can shoot whatever I want. Or because there's when you're shooting with a view camera, there's just certain images like 
you can't make or like you're never even going to think about making with them because it's it's too offhand or it's at this weird angle or something like that that you really wouldn't even consider like placing your tripod at or it's something that happens really quickly that you would have even had time to set up for so yeah there, it's really nice to have have both of those uh approaches kind of within your you know your bag or your toolkit as far as what you have to to make work that you find something that has something you want to say for sure yeah and, and i mean even just from it being as simple as uh just enjoying creating images right and maybe you just want to get out and 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 go and um you know make some photos and it, it, I, I guess like if you feel like you always need to you know know exactly where you're going and for what purpose that could obviously really limit your ability to to go out and make work and enjoy yourself so i think that's uh, that's super important um so i want to jump into talking a little bit about um subjectively objective so that is it's a gallery and then you you curate a lot of work through there and then obviously uh release uh a lot of physical products as well so you do like monthly monographs right and and then photo books as well yeah so actually as far as i actually have two uh, like zine series that i publish i have the mini monograph series that two um, little 12 page ones come out every month. And then I have the monthly monograph series. That's one larger, uh, 28 page one. That's you, they're all monographs, but the, the larger, the monthly monographs are always devoted to a single body of work. And there's a, a title of the work and a, a statement that goes along with it. Whereas the mini monographs sometimes aren't necessarily a single, they're always work of a, a single artist, but they're not always, an artist's single body of work. Sometimes I'm choosing kind of a selection across different bodies of work they had. Or again, this kind of goes back to something I mentioned earlier is that with Subjectively Objective as a project, I'm I'm very um, into supporting people and giving them maybe sometimes their first opportunity to to show their work or the first time they've ever had their work published in any form. And so that's a, a great, uh, you know, they're they're small and they're you know, they're fairly limited as far as the number of copies that are made, but I have a lot of subscribers that always get them, um, too. So there's a, it, you know, it's, it's a nice way for people to get something on their CV and, you know, feel good about like making progress with their work, because that's something when I was starting out, man, I would have loved that so much if someone would have saw my work and said, Hey, let me feature it. Or, Hey, can, you know, I want to put your work in my magazine. Like I would have been absolutely like overjoyed about that and it would have encouraged me to keep going and like that's something i definitely want to be someone that can help give people that type of encouragement um and so so I, i'm really basically as far as featuring people's work um i'm willing to feature it or even publish it in a in a mini monograph if i feel like you know there there's 12 images there and the, the mini monographs actually have 11 images in them but um, 12 images is what I feature of people's work. If you only have 12 images that I think are worth featuring, but I feel like I can put together a good selection of 12 and maybe that's literally all you have, I'd still be happy to do it. Um, you know, just, to, to get it out there. If I think it's something that's worthwhile and to give you that opportunity. Um, so, you know, and I have done that with people where it's like, you know, you, you've got a good eye. You're obviously just starting out. You haven't really developed it. And like, you have some good images and you have enough that I can work with here, but all of your other images, like, you know, 
they're not quite working yet. And so you have a ways to go before you start making these really cohesive long-term or, you know, bigger bodies of work, but you have something there that's worthwhile. And so, you know, let's see what we can use with that. Yeah. And, and I think it's amazing that you're doing that. I, I mean, all of the ones that I've seen, um, the way that you put them together, the way that they're, they're kind of curated and sequenced, they all look, you know, really, really good. Um, and I just think it's neat that you're giving people that opportunity. Um, and so I, I do, I definitely, one of the things I wanted to kind of do today, just while I have you on here is really take advantage of this opportunity to talk a little bit more just about the, the, I guess, process of like, um, publication or creating physical products or, you know, if that's a zine or if that's a book and, and also curating and and sequencing and stuff like that, because I think, um, it can kind of be a, a little bit of, um, an area or a topic that's not talked about. Uh, much. And I think for people, especially people starting out who haven't put out any physical products, it can also be something that's maybe a little intimidating or they don't really know, you know, know where to start. So um, I guess a, a good place for us to, to start would be, um, let's say someone wants to, has never put out any of their work yet um, as a physical product. Um, you know, like what's a, what's a good first step? Like, is that to step back and look at the work that you've been creating Um, even if you, you've been doing it without maybe say much direction to, to start with. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, this is, there's a a, quite a few different aspects and ways of thinking about it, but I think one thing is to, um, to really, it's always super valuable to, to keep shooting a lot and keep making new work to build up a bigger body of work to choose from. Like, um, particularly if you're thinking about doing any type of publication, whether it's something you're self-publishing a zine or whether you're looking to, you know, make a, a monograph or anything like that, particularly if you're starting to search for, for publishers for it is having, you know, an extensive built up body of work, um, really is going to make that putting together some type of publication much easier because you're going to have more stuff to draw from. So whether you're doing something that's kind of an overview of all your work and it kind of depends on, you know, what your individual person's work is. There's some artists that basically everything they shoot, regardless of what project they may categorize it under, it looks like their work. Like they got a style and they're shooting it in a consistent enough way Mm -hmm. that you can, and I do that frequently, you know, putting together stuff that from different projects that I think all work together. And, you know, maybe I'm reconceptualizing what they originally were thinking about when they made the work, but, um, it's definitely having more to draw from is, is always better, but it definitely, when you get into starting to make your publication, you also need to be a, you know, a critical editor of your own work. If you're the one putting it together and putting it out, um, you know, it's better to have something that has less stuff in it, but is really tight than to have something where you feel like there's filler in it. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing like with a, with an album, you know, like a really great album that you feel like every song on there is important and it matters, you know, that you want to listen to the whole album because it's so good versus like, oh, there's a couple good songs on here, but these other songs, they're not so good. Yeah. Like, <laughs> You know, maybe in that case, it would have been better just to put out, a, you know, an EP or something like that, that that only had the good stuff on it. Um, so 
I mean, in general, people are, in my experience, after you know all the work I see, people are generally very poor editors of their own work. Um, and it definitely, I mean, even myself, it's interesting thinking about that type of process. You know, I definitely think being a curator and looking at all other people's work has definitely made me much better at looking at my own work with the type of critical eye that's necessary and saying, you know, I like this image, but it, it just doesn't work here. I mean, sometimes, particularly when you're putting together a book, you know, there's a lot of times where you may say, maybe this is your very best image, but it, it doesn't work with the book. And so it's better to have the book not have that image in it to try to shoehorn it in there and it doesn't fit. And then the, the whole book suffers as a result of shoehorning in maybe what was the very single best image. Yeah. And I think a lot of us can be guilty of that at times, right? You get attached to something and it's hard to, uh, even if you know, it's, it's for the, the best, it's hard to kind of let, let some things go. But, uh, just, I, I know that there's obviously, uh, no like specific rules or anything like that. Like it's not as easy as, you, you know, learning, uh, guidelines or something when it comes to curating and sequencing and stuff like that. But I'm just trying to think of like from like a practical standpoint, say for people who are just starting to maybe uh, look at their work in that way a little more and, and, and try to, to, to put together images into a, into a project. Like what, is there any like practical advice in terms of um, things, you know, things to look out for when you're trying to pair images together or make sequences? Like in your experience, what have you found um, works when it comes to like, you know, creating like links between images and, and, and stories and stuff like that? Yeah, well, I think, um, I think a really good thing to do again is have the most work that you can to draw from. Cause even, you know, sometimes it, like you may see like here, here's 10 images and they, you know, they all work pretty well together, but if you had 30 images to pick from, you probably could make a better selection of 10 than mm -hmm. just the first 10 that you happen to have. Um, even if those weren't bad, but the more you have to draw from, the tighter you can, you know, boil it down to really its essence. Um, that is definitely very helpful to have a lot to draw from to really put something together that feels really, uh, you know, really tight and well put together that it doesn't feel like there's any filler in there. It feels like everything is in its place. It, that's where it needs to be. Um, and I do think that something that a lot of people would benefit from is you really focusing on um, consistency is in not that the images all have to be some type of uh, so much the same that it's like they're a typology, but making images that feel like they're all, you know, to a certain level of quality and the way they're functioning. Um, because I do see a lot of work that you, there's some really strong images in there and there's some that are just really, it, it's very uneven. Um, you see some that are like, oh, this is a really strong striking image. And then you have this other image that maybe has an interesting conceptual point behind it, but it's not readily apparent from the image itself. And so it just seems like, really uh mundane or banal not in like the you know the good stephen shore banal way but just <laughs> literally like this is just a boring image um and it doesn't and you know it's paired with something that's interesting and in that instance the boring one is just bringing down the good one it's not doing anything to add any additional context to it um and so that's something people i think need to think about i think there's kind of a this trend that I see with a lot of work that people want to make these things that are very um, 
kind of, they think of them as being very free, like, you know, here's an image like this, and then, you know, here's this, here's this color landscape, and then this, here's this, you know, black and white portrait, and then here's this little detail of something else. Like, work like that, when it's done really well, can be incredible, but unless it's done really well, like, it doesn't work. It, it, it doesn't feel like a body of work. It just feels like, here's a bunch of random images that you kind of threw together, and, you know, there's nothing, it definitely doesn't have, particularly when it comes to a book, it doesn't have like repeat viewing value. Um, you know, you kind of look at it once and you're kind of like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But it's not something that makes you want to come back because you don't really feel like there's something that you can, you know, continue to, to enjoy and, you know, learn and, uh, you know, appreciate about it when you have something that's really, you know, really nice photo books that they've really been distilled down to a, a really nice essence of the project. I mean, those are things that like any, you know, they're actually a really wonderful art form and of to themselves, even compared, you think of, you know, a gallery show is nice. You get to see the work and maybe it's kind of big depending. Um, but you know, even unless it's like some huge retrospective show at the MoMA or something like that, you know, 20 images in a gallery show is pretty much all you can ever expect. A lot of times it's less than that, but with a, a something in the book form, I mean, you can have a really large scale project and you can, you can appreciate, you know, the narrative and the flow throughout the whole thing. Um, so definitely, I mean, you're talking about sequencing. Sequencing is a, is a huge thing um, in and of itself. But I think before you can even get to sequencing, you need to be able to come up with a, a strong edit of the work that you can then start working on sequencing it. Although that being said, sometimes when you get to the sequencing part, maybe you're going to find some things that you really are having. That image just doesn't sequence well. Um, You know, it doesn't, it stands out. It always feels like when I'm, when I'm putting together a book or even one of the magazines, what I'm always looking at is particularly when it comes to pairing, you know, having pairs that feel like the images are, you know, working together in some way that there's a little bit of push pull or some kind of dynamic between them. Um, I mean, sometimes you can come up with nice pairs where it's kind of like, uh, you know, here you're kind of comparing two things and like there's similarities between them. Mm -hmm. But I think something that you do want to watch out for, because like I said, sometimes that can work, but you do see, I see a lot of books where you basically, you have these pairs where they're not really communicating with each other. It's just like, oh, here's two pictures of gas stations on these two spreads. Yeah. But like. They don't, and like, but the other, like, it would have been better if you had those two pictures of gas stations were mixed somewhere else through in the book in more dynamic pairings. And then it becomes kind of a recurring motif by putting them together just right next to each other. You lose that kind of recurring motif. And it's just like, oh, here, you know, they're just right next to each other and they don't really say anything to each other. It's just like, here's two pictures of something that are similar. But if maybe they were, combined with something else and in separate spots. And then there was a few of them you'd go through and you'd be like, Oh, here's another one of those things. Like it's a, you know, thinking of, um, like a a good example of this in Alex Soth's Niagara, he has, he has quite a few recurring motifs there, but there's like one of like things that have hearts on them Mm -hmm. and like they kind of appear in different spots throughout the book. 
And so it's one of those things like it, it gives it kind of that rhythm and poetry to it, um, which is something, you know, having a good rhythm to your book or publication is important. Um, you know, don't put everything that's super alike all together and then make it feel like you're jumping onto something else. Like if that's a thing, like come back, revisit those things, you know, have a flow where you kind of feel like you're meandering and going up and down as you're flowing through instead of feeling like, Oh, Hey, like you had something and now you jump to something totally different. I mean, that, that's kind of what I was talking about. Some of that w work that I see where people are trying to be really free with it, but it's not honed tight enough makes things feel like they really are just kind of a, you know, random jumps between things. And so it doesn't give you that, that narrative flow. And again, that's something too, when it becomes to, as far as sequencing and even a narrative, you know, a lot of nice narratives, they don't have to be super explicit. I mean, they can be really free associative narratives that, you know, another, um, you know, talking about work that's done really well in that way where you're combining this kind of seemingly random stuff, but it does have that kind of poetic narrative to it. Something like, uh, like Jason Fulford's, um, books are like that where they're done really well. It's, there's kind of like seemingly random things, but it actually feels like it's loose, but it's also tight. Mm -hmm. Um, and so like that can work really well if it's pulled off well, but it's kind of hard to pull off. And so it's definitely easier to put together a nice um, publication of any kind if you can actually really boil down things and say, here's a really good cohesive group of images. And then the way you start sequencing them is whether you're you know, doing uh, paired spreads or whether they're single images, or even if you're getting to more kind of designing type layouts where they're different sizes and shapes and stuff like that still though thinking like how does this work you know as you flip through things so i know a lot of people um like making physical prints or something like that to kind of work up a maquette um to sequence things through i actually never do that i actually hmm. sequence everything i do uh in adobe bridge um which is probably people would be surprised to hear that because I know people are really big into the physical way of putting things together, but that's actually the way that I find easiest because I always have total flexibility to, um, you know, zoom out, see how things are looking together as a sequence, but then also zoom in where I'm actually looking, you know, at, at paired images. And then once I basically have things put together like that, I, you know, I, we'll have things, you know, then I'll rename them with sequence numbers so I can keep track of them. And then once I start placing things in InDesign in the actual pages that give you also kind of the full feel then that you're going to get, you actually see, you know, the, the white margins and everything. Then I re look over that sequencing and say, okay, does this, when I flip from one spread to the other, just as you would when you're actually looking at the, uh, you know, the real publication, how does that transition feel like? Does it feel like, okay, good, we're moving on to something else? Does it feel too similar or does it feel like too big of a jump? You know, you want it to feel different enough, but not too different where it feels like you've you've lost track of, of you know, the thread that was running through it. Mm, yeah, I, I mean, a ton of great points there. And uh, I, I think, you know, speaking about uh, you know, pairing images and, and your example of like two gas stations going together, I think 
I think at the start, it can be almost feel like you need to make things really clear and obvious for people, even from, uh, the, you know, the way you lay out um, the, the narrative with the beginning and the ending images or, you know, uh, pairing things together and making things really obvious like that example, right? Two similar things, putting them together based on the fact that they're they're the same, essentially. Um, so the one thing I'm interested in, because you hear this, uh, you hear people talk a lot about story, right? Or narrative and, 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 you know, creating a body of work that tells a story. And obviously that can be a really kind of abstract thing depending on um, what it is you're trying to put together. So obviously, you know, with more of like a documentary style long-term project, I, I feel like that is something that would be uh, not necessarily easier to achieve, but more clear with the, because you're, you're going out and you're making these, um, these, very specific images but you know all of a sudden if let's say you go and you shoot um, a bunch of environments on say instant film over a, a week-long period and then you try and put that together to me that seems like a, a whole um, different process in terms of difficulty and and you know trying to take that and in your head say how do I tell a story with all of these images that are just of these environments so like how how loose do you think that that can be or does it always need to be really kind of specific and dialed down um i actually think in my whole approach to things even really when it comes to curating is i'm i'm very uh intuitive with it i don't think that things necessarily have to have uh, a really explicit story to them you know i mean sometimes again when you're making like a long-term documentary project you probably do have something fairly specific what you were thinking about why this place or these places appealed to you like what they mean what you're you know what you're thinking about what you're trying to say but then sometimes when you're making other types of work um the work is really doing all of the speaking for itself and honestly it may hold up better if you don't say anything about it at all mm -hmm. sometimes i mean that's actually something another thing with all of the submissions i get you know so many people try to over um conceptualize sure what they're doing and then when you look at the work you're like that doesn't come through what you were talking about doesn't come through in this work at all yeah it would have been better for you to just leave it as what it was and I could have taken it on its own merits. But now that you told me it's about this thing that I don't think it's about, you know, that that doesn't do you any favors. If anything, you know, people are going to be turned off by that and say, you know, you said it was about this, but it's not. Yeah, like, I, I don't huh. see it. So, um, you know, I definitely think that it's easier to put something strong together uh without saying too much about it being too specific or trying to you know say you're saying this grand making this grand statement where you know a lot of nice work isn't a grand statement it's you know it's a very simple kind of personal statement um just about the way that you see the world around you i mean that's actually going into subjectively objective a little bit that's actually why I call the project subjectively objective because it's kind of my overarching philosophy about photography is that, you know, people think of photography as this very, you know, objective medium that it's, it's a physical thing. It's not like a painting that you click the shutter and it documented reality, but that, you know, that's not really at all the case. Um, 
I always think of as an example that I always talk about when thinking about this or explaining it to someone is that there's a, there's this uh, Stephen Shore image from American Surfaces that's a picture of some badlands, and then there's like a guardrail on the side of the road uh, in the front of the frame with the badlands behind it. And thinking about that picture, if he had taken, you know, three steps forward and taken the picture and excluded the guardrail, it's a totally different picture. Mm-hmm. You know, so every photographer, every time you make an image, you're doing that same thing, whether you consciously know it or not. I mean, so everything you're doing is really totally subjective. You know, what you choose to include in the frame, what you choose to exclude, you know, the moment you choose to take it, like all of those things are subjective decisions that you're making, you know, like I said, whether you're consciously aware of it or not. And so it's really, I'm interested in work that is really Basically, it's embracing the fact that like this work is what's interesting about it is it's giving you a little glimpse into, you know, how this photographer sees their world, you know, why they chose to shoot this thing and stuff. And again, it's none of it's something really uh, explicitly said. It's it's really more about just the the visual experience of it. What do you feel and get when you're looking at the image? Um you know, it's more about that than it is about saying, okay, this is about this specific thing. You know, it's, it's more about, you know, what does this make you think or feel, or is this a type of environment that, that interests you when you're looking at the image? And my approach as far as, you know, curating that type of thing, when I, when I'm curating, I'm actually in a lot of ways, very much always recontextualizing what the photographer may have been thinking about when they were making the work. I'm really approaching it from the the aspect of I'm looking at work that what I'm curating is basically it's always stuff, the type of work that I would have liked to have made myself. Mm-hmm. And so thinking about it that way that I'm taking these image, you know, how would I, if it's someone else's image, but I'm seeing it, how would I put these images together if they were my own images, you know, um, what do I see when I look at them? And maybe it's not what the photographer saw, but you know, particularly when I'm doing uh, like these survey style books, like Observations in the Ordinary, uh, which has one of your images in there. Um, you know, when you look at the book altogether, it has 134 different artists work in there. Each image is, uh, each page has the work of a different artist on it, and you know they're all paired up. And if you look through it, it's you know, there's variation in it, but it seems all very, you know, like it has a, a constant flow and narrative. Mm-hmm. That's all about because the way that I, you know, sequenced and paired it up and curated it together, that it's honestly, I mean, it's it's about the photographer's work that's in there, but it's at least equally as much about, you know, how I am seeing these, this work and, you know, how I'm seeing the world and what I'm doing to, you know, take this work and put it together in a way that I feel like, you know, taking things from from people who had all sorts of different ideas when they were creating them and putting it together that's something that's really very much about like what I wanted to say, even though I, I really don't know the intentions of the photographers they had when they were making those images. Oh man, you know what? I think everything that you just said is gonna be so important for people. And even after hearing you you say those things, it's even got I can even feel myself thinking a little differently already Um, just from a standpoint of like, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, doing the landscape photography and just creating these individual images and dumping them kind of in buckets and not thinking 
uh, too much more than that. And, and now it's it's almost like maybe I'm starting to overthink things a little too much, you know, to think, okay, I'm going to go do this new project. I really need to like dial in beforehand, like what it's about, what I'm trying to say, you know, what the focus is going to be, what the story is going to be. Um, so I think it's almost like, you know, you, you can get to a point where you start to overthink things. Um, and maybe that starts to affect a little bit of that curiosity and that intuition. Um, cause we're all attracted to these scenes that we go and shoot in the way that we, we photograph them. Um, just based on on our vision and, and how we see things and, and the decisions that we end up making. So, um, yeah, I think, I think that's going to provide a lot of value to people just to hear, um, all of those points you just touched on. Yeah. Well, I think, I think even when you are, I mean, there's, there's a value to, um, like we talked about before having, depending on the type of project, having some preconceived ideas about what you're, you know, why you're making this work, what you're trying to say, but it also is good to even within that framework, leave yourself enough room to still make the images that, you know, you come across that feel interesting or important to you. Like, again, I know uh, that your other podcast that you had with uh, Kyler Zeleny um, was talking about how, you know, with some of his projects, he said, okay, well, I'm going to shoot all specifically um, in these towns in Western Canada underneath a certain population size or uh, Alex Soth said when he's doing sleeping by the Mississippi, you know, I can shoot anything I want as long as it's in within 10 miles of the Mississippi river. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's, it's giving him a framework. It's, it's about something, but it's also pretty free that like, it's not totally limiting you to say, Oh, well, you know, I just can't take this image. It's not going to work there. But I mean, then there's also you, even particularly, I think with making, uh, you know, pretty much ex- like specifically landscape work, you do have a lot of freedom to either, you know, include a lot of different types of landscapes, or it could be a very focused type of landscape work. But in general, I think that's definitely a style of work, which is obviously something we're both big into, but it's, um, it doesn't necessarily have to be this you know big overarching theme sometimes it's really just about the work and the images and how they go together um there isn't always necessarily a lot that has to be said about them you know sometimes there is uh if it's going to be about this very specific thing but there's a lot of nice work that it's really about just uh you know the broader things people seeing the spaces around them you know and you know, that's definitely something that's a big theme of my work, but I think it's a big theme of a lot of the work of people I show too, is that they're looking at these, these places and these spaces in a way that the average person doesn't look at them when you, particularly when you think of things, you're looking at the, you know, vernacular everyday type of stuff, you know, people go to the gas station all the time, but most people don't like look at the gas station Yeah, yeah. Um, or, or anything, you know, so that's that's the type of thing is but it doesn't necessarily have to be some some really overarching theme about it maybe you put together these images and it's just kind of like you know they work because they they visually work and they visually work together and you don't necessarily need to say a lot about it it just it just works on that level by itself yeah yeah that's awesome and 
uh, speaking of Kyler, I, I don't remember which one of his books it was in, but he had this, um, in, in one of them, he had this uh, part, I think it was near the back of the book, where basically he just listed out this this um, kind of grouping of like keywords, like just words that made him think of the places that he was photographing, like small town Western Canada. And that's something that really stuck with me and, and that really appeals to me, um, even for like the work that I, I want to start creating around here. So like, you know, for example, like uh, one of the words would be like um, uh, Chinese food restaurant or something, which is, you know, something that you typically find in a lot of small towns throughout throughout Canada. So just these like labels that you would relate to an area. Um so that's something that's really kind of interested me is just to even sit and spend some time and, and you know, write out uh, something like that and, and see what that influences. Yeah, I think I think a good particularly if you're looking to make a new body of work and you're kind of not sure the direction, thinking about having some, I guess, kind of loose guides is a good way. But then it's also it's important to get out there and start doing the shooting and seeing, you know, w- what's there for you. Um because I definitely think it's a big, a big way um, about how you approach something. You know, you were talking about uh, doing some work kind of around your hometown and you know, things like that. Sometimes that can be difficult work to make because it's so familiar that you um, you don't necessarily see it. Um, but sometimes, though, maybe if you're coming back after a while, you haven't been there, um, then maybe you'll see it in a different way or, you know, maybe there's certain places that like, you're never going to really be able to do any shooting because you just don't see anything interesting about it where there's other places that are, you know, are really attractive. And, you know, obviously you're very attracted to the American Southwest. That's a place that you feel drawn to. You want to make images there, you know, um, maybe there's a lot of really interesting images for you to make in your hometown, but then maybe there isn't. If you, if you don't see anything interesting about it, then there's probably no interesting images for you to make. It has to be something that you feel uh, inspired to actually want to take the image versus just feeling like, well, I have to make this image well, because of that. Sorry. Oh, no, no. Sorry. I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but just as you're saying that, uh, the, the really interesting thing is, um, for the whole period of time when I was creating this work in the, in the Southwest, whenever I would come back to this area, cause I, I lived here for 10 years, you know, I would still, I would want to create images just based off of enjoying photography. And over those few years, I never ever created anything that I was happy with here. But what's been really fascinating is I, I was obviously just in the UK for, for three months and coming back here, you know, I hadn't spent that much time away from here for quite some time. And I, I've now it's been like, I, you know, things are still the same, obviously, but I, there's, I'm seeing things so much differently now. And there's like this excitement for these places that there wasn't before. But then on the flip side, the fascinating thing is when I was in the UK in this brand new environment, um, obviously, you know, with COVID going on and everything super limited as to where I could go. But so I'm just in this like, you know, um, really quiet kind of normal neighborhood. And like my, I obviously went out on walks and tried to create images there, but like my enthusiasm, like my, my interest in my energy to create images there is there, there isn't any, cause none of it excites me or appeals to me. Um, so 
so it's, it's fascinating that new environment where it's like I've had no energy, but then also on the flip side, coming back to this environment I'm really used to after, you know, spending time away from it. And all of a sudden it's, you know, I'm seeing things in a whole different light. Yeah. No, but I think that exactly what you're expressing there. Like, I think that's an important thing to, if a place, and I think that's something with, with places specifically, some places just have this type of feeling or mood to them something that when you're there it just makes you feel a certain way i mean i being in a place like that is generally going to be a place that's inspiring for you to make work and then there's some places that if it doesn't give you that feeling at all i mean that's not to say you couldn't make any interesting images there but they're probably not going to be images about that place Mm -hmm. it's going to be an image that's kind of it doesn't have anything to do with the place it's just of the that particular scene or that thing um so, but yeah, because I, I definitely think of, you know, part of the reason why I decided to make my Blue Water series about the uh, the Port Huron, Michigan area is uh, I used to have a friend who lived there and every time I would visit him, and it's a place that I had been before that, but um, while he was living there, when I would visit him, it was always just there's this this kind of atmosphere to the place that I found really inspiring and made me want to shoot. And so I said, why don't I make a project about this place because you know i i always find something interesting to shoot while i'm here whereas then i think of like you know maybe the spot where i grew up i remember definitely when i was first starting out i did shooting around there but i can't think of any image i've ever made around there that i actually am excited by because it just it it, it wasn't a place that had that not that it wasn't a nice place but it wasn't a place that had that mood that inspired me And that's something too, I think, you know, there's also, if it's about this place, but then, you know, again, while you're traveling too, there's always that experience you have that's kind of, it's not the same kind of focused mood you get when you're really focusing on a specific place, but there's this excitement of, you know, I'm, what can I find while I'm out there? Um, And sometimes you traveling in certain places, you may find a ton of stuff that's, that's great that you like. And then sometimes you'll travel in certain places and they're, you know, it may have been a nice place, but you, you really just didn't have anything that, uh, that spoke to you there. Yeah. Yeah. And that's interesting to hear you say that the one, so something I think about often is like, I will see, uh, photographers put out images that they created in areas that I've been to where I've created no work and their images will appeal to me. And then I'll almost question myself, like, like I, I guess a good example is, you know, you see a lot of people create images from Palm Springs, right, of these, like, uh, retro houses and, and, and classic cars and stuff. Um, and I spent, like, two weeks in Palm Springs uh, when we were on our kind of big road trip, and I didn't shoot any images there. And so I, I'm like, okay, I'm seeing these images that are, like, you know, there's this appeal and, and, and you know, um, I'm enjoying them. But then I'm like, how come when I was there, nothing... Um, you know, spoke to me enough to to get out my camera and go and create. Yeah, I mean, I think, and that's that's a big thing. Uh, kind of going back to what I was saying about people's work uh, being specific to themselves as far as shooting it. I mean, I think that's really that's really kind of all that's left for photography at this point. I mean, I think everything has basically been done. Mm-hmm. There's there's no type of photography that anyone's going to make, to my knowledge, that I can even envision that's not going to have some relation to the work that's came before it. And so really all there's left at this point is to make work that 
personally interests you. And if you're doing that is going to, to at least at the very least say something about the way that you see, you know, the world in general, or at least the places or the subjects that you're photographing. Um, and so I think having that, that personal subjective element in it is really important to, to see and understand that. But it's also, I think this is kind of a, a side point that's related though, as far as advice for people when they're thinking about putting together, you know, publications and books and stuff like that, being really knowledgeable about photo history and what's come before in the past, the other people who have made work that may be similar to the work you're making, you know, spending time with as many other photo books as you can are all really helpful things to do when you're working on your own work because it's going to give you an idea of what else has already been done and can kind of help you kind of focus in on, yes, maybe I'm making work that someone else has already made work about the same type of thing, but you know, what's the more personal connection and reason why I'm making it? What's, what's similar, but what's different about the way I see things and the way that, you know, this photographer saw things being aware of that really helps you kind of form that, that framework, even within your own mind. Whereas if you just start making work, you know, that's the, you know, these landscape images of this well-known place and you don't realize that there's a lot of work that's been made there before. Maybe you're like, Hey, this is, this is this totally new original thing, but it's not actually. Yeah. So it's, it's much better to be aware of the fact that it's not completely new and original and then, you know, work within that framework than being ignorant of the fact that, you know, other things have come before you and are informing your work, you know, whether you know it or not, mm -hmm. if you are aware of it, you can, you know, be taking that in and then using it while you're uh, making stuff yourself. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I think that's really, really important. Um, so when it comes to publishing work, like, or or, you know, getting your work out there as some sort of physical um, item, if that's a say a zine or a print or a or a book, like how important do you think that is for photographers maybe who haven't done anything yet? I mean, I think at this point it's definitely something that is probably something that is kind of uh, a goal or a dream for most photographers. Mm -hmm. Um, definitely. I mean, I think we're, we're definitely living through what you could maybe call a, a golden age of photography, uh, photo book publishing, um, because the, uh, there's so many great, you know, small independent publishers out there and even, you know, bigger public art book publishers, you know, put out a lot of photo books and stuff like that. Whereas when you think of kind of where photography books originally came from, um, you know, they're there wasn't really that many. I mean, you really started seeing the first kind of really notable photography books coming out um, in like the late 70s and early 80s are books that people still think about um, a lot. But before that, the book form wasn't necessarily this, it, it didn't have the stature that it had today. It didn't have the, the numbers that it has today. Um, and because of how things have changed, there's so many more out there. It's also made it a much more accessible thing that, you know, you don't have to get a huge publisher to, uh, to like your work, to get your work published. 
there's probably a smaller publisher that you know out there that might be interested in publishing it or maybe it's something that you you can self-publish even um obviously there's there's positives and drawbacks between all of those options but it definitely is something that i think more and more photographers have on their mind um because of the uh you know the greater availability of it the the changes in technology that have allowed it even i mean as far as even self-publishing stuff it's not really ever going to be a way that works from a, a monetary perspective as far as making books and wanting to sell them but the idea that even like print on demand books exist and you can you know get a book made up of your stuff again the the economics of it will never work because they're so expensive to do individually when you're printing on demand as far as if you're trying to sell them but the idea that you can even have that done though i think makes uh makes the idea of having a book seem more like a real possibility for a lot of people yeah yeah i know a lot has certainly changed especially even just in the past couple of years it seems um and I, i'll be interested kind of to see where that goes and how that develops even more um in the near future here yeah i mean i think it like i said i in a, in a way it's definitely a, a golden age because there's so many things happening um that are great but then there's also with anything when there's a lot of stuff happening there's some stuff out there being published that you know isn't that great and maybe it really didn't need to be published mm -hmm. but i mean i think that's okay too i mean there's a lot of stuff out there and you know people will find things that they like and sometimes people publish things and you know, maybe it wasn't that great and it may not be that well received, or maybe there is great stuff out there, but there's so many things that can be, you know, hard for people to find them, um, certainly. But it doesn't mean that it's not something worth pursuing, I think. I definitely think that there's a, you know, it's it's definitely a worthy thing. And because of, you know, the photo book as an art form in itself, it's really able to tell a lot of stories that other um other ways of getting your work out there uh, wouldn't necessarily be able to do. And I think too, even with, you know, how everything with social media and online stuff is now, you know, that's such a uh, fleeting ephemeral thing. Maybe you make this great image and you put it out there and maybe it gets a lot of likes, but then like most people don't ever go back and look through your Instagram feed and, no. and see it again. So it was kind of like it basically lived for a day and then it's, it's done. Yeah. And unless you repost it again. Um, but in a, in a book, you know, images, I feel like they have a much longer lifespan than that even a longer lifespan than something, even on a more permanent online place, like a website or a, you know, a photo blog or something like that. A book is really something that, you know, if you're the kind of person who likes photo books, you know, you're going to, no one just buys a photo book, looks through it once and then never looks through it again. Like yeah. people are, they're meant to be able to, you know, appreciate over and over again. And so it is a really great, a great form and a really great way to experience um, photography and, you know, particularly really well done photography. You know, a book is like, I think the perfect way to see a great photographic body of work better than even seeing a show of it so um i know i can definitely understand why like hearing kyler talk about how he thinks of his work you know going into a book from the start he's not even really into doing gallery shows mm -hmm. i mean that makes sense because 
with the way it is i mean i i think there there are value to gallery shows and it's a cool thing to do and it's more of a event and stuff like that but i mean um and even though i i, I host shows too at my gallery space i'm still way more into to doing books than i am into doing gallery shows because there's much more of a permanence to it and you know it can also reach a much wider audience in book form than it can at a show that's you know in a single location or even if it travels to a few locations you know a book can be seen by so many more people and they can really get the full experience of the the way that project as it was intended yeah no i agree completely and 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 i think um you know especially with the online world it's easy to um get kind of wrapped up in your work and how you're displaying it and forget that people are viewing it in a completely different way. And even before for me, you know, I've reposted an image, say that I posted a year ago on my Instagram and I'll be like, oh, well, you know, I've already posted this and then I'll put it up and it'll get, you know, a whole bunch of um, likes or something. And I'll be like, oh, like, I'm surprised. Like people already saw this. But then I, you know, I, I stopped to think I'm like, you know, no one's clicking and scrolling through my you know, my profile. No, whoever saw this image a year ago probably saw it for three seconds as they swiped by it on the timeline or whatever. Um, so you do forget that, you know, if you're just showcasing your work online, it's probably getting consumed very, very quickly. Um, and like you said, only being viewed for a, you know, it's, the lifespan of it is very short. Yeah, and that and that even brings up another issue, which I feel like is something that very unfortunate that's... Uh, happened since since i first started on instagram in 2015 i think back then uh with kind of the original format that instagram was with uh, the chronological timeline and basically everyone you followed uh if they posted a picture you know it would show up in your timeline yeah. based on the time they posted and so you actually had the opportunity to to see everything that um that people were posting um and then you know looking now the way it is with the algorithms and it's really made it much more of some type of popularity contest type thing mm -hmm. amongst the way the algorithm works basically it, it decides that if something's popular enough it will show it to more people because they might also like it but if it's not very popular it hardly shows it to anyone because the algorithm thinks that nobody will like it which is I mean, it's, 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 it's definitely, I can see why it's good for Facebook as a business, uh, but it's not good for photographers or for people who are actually interested in seeing artwork. I mean, it's, it's totally counterintuitive to that purpose because, you know, if someone liked your work enough to follow you, they probably want to see your images when you post them, but there's a good chance, regardless of how popular a certain post is, Instagram's only going to show it to a a very small percentage of your followers. Yeah. Um, yeah. And hearing you say that, you know, there'll even be times where like for, for one reason or another, um, like a photographer's work will be shown to me who I follow, but I, I haven't seen it for, for months or something to the point where I've almost forgot that I've, I've forgot about them, you know? And it's like maybe someone who, whose work I interacted with quite a bit. And then for whatever reason, it stopped getting shown to me. And then I'll be like, Oh Yeah. So I, I can relate to that completely. Um, you know, it's kind of like you never know what you're going to get. 
Yeah. And so, and so for that reason, I mean, I think that's another good reason why photo books are such a great thing because they're like the opposite of that. They're an object that you thought that you liked enough that you wanted to buy a copy of it and own it. And even people, you know, books as a, as a printed matter in general, I mean, in publishing with newspapers and magazines and stuff like that's all dropped off super significantly because of the different ways people consume information now, but like photo books are on an opposite trajectory from the rest of the publishing world. And that they're one of the few types of published, you know, printed matter that people actually see a value in having, you know, long-term, maybe you're even someone who's kind of a, a minimalist and you don't like having a lot of stuff or objects around you. There's still people like that that I know that still, you know, collect photography books because mm -hmm. they feel like, unlike the other stuff, they're actually an object that brings value to their life. You know, being able to have the physical object there and being able to revisit it. So, you know, that's something really great about books. But yeah, it, it is unfortunate how how uh, Instagram specifically has changed, and it really makes it harder to uh, to get your work out there than it would have. I mean, I would have definitely a couple of years ago would have definitely encouraged people and said, "What a great you know platform Instagram is as a way to you know get your work out there further." And it still can be, mm -hmm. but it's not what it used to be. Um, you know, I feel very fortunate that I started um, subjectively objective on Instagram when I did, because I don't think if I had started it a couple of years later that I would have had the opportunity to grow it into what it's become. Yeah. J just because the, you know, that's something I'm with the work I'm showing, I'm particularly showing more of people's work than, you know, there's a lot of other nice accounts out there that are, you know, gallery style accounts that show cool work, but it's usually just like, one image from a single person and it's usually kind of something that's going to be you know more poppy and popular i mean you can look through there's there's certain types of images that instagram really likes those type of images and the audience on instagram really likes them yeah and then things that are a little bit maybe more obscure or a little bit more difficult or a little bit more definitely you know there's a lot of wonderful wonderful work that's very subtle instagram does not appreciate yeah. subtle work at yeah. all <laughs> um and so, you know, that's something you can see that I see even that there's a lot of times where if I'm showing work that is more subtle, you know, it's not going to get a lot of likes, but I'm, I still think it's important to, to show that work. And, um, you know, I, I wish it could reach more people, but I don't want to let myself and what I'm curating be dictated by, you know, what the algorithm wants to do because otherwise I would only be showing things that I knew were going to be popular. And, you know, that's not that they're, you could do well doing that, but I mean, that's just, that's not what I'm interested in doing. And I don't think that's what a lot of artists are interested in doing with their own mm -hmm. work. Y yeah. And, and I can relate to that, um, quite a bit. Cause for me, it was my, the, the most enjoyment that I have ever gotten out of Instagram came at the point when I removed all my expectations from it. And what's what's fascinating is uh, I'll get people message me quite often. And I mean, I don't have like a massive following by any means. Um, you, have a, you have a pretty big following for a, for a, an artist on Instagram, I would say. For someone who's not, you know, famous, famous. For sure, for sure. But it's not like, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. But um, but yeah, I mean, I'm grateful for everyone that that's followed me for sure. But what I'll say to people 
like I'll get people message me and they'll say like, you know, oh, what should I do? I'm just starting out. How do I grow my following? And I'm just like, honestly, the, I never had some like tactical approach. I just removed all of my expectations. I posted the work that um, I enjoyed. I never thought about, you know, is the image I'm posting today going to be as popular as the last one? And is it going to work? And what time am I posting at? And blah, blah, blah. Um, so I know for me, it was when I removed expectations and then just used it in a way where I was like, you know, I'm going to socialize on it with other photographers whose work I enjoy and I'm going to follow other people whose work I enjoy. And it, like, I'm basically going to strip away any of these like, you know, hacks and tricks and tips and all of this stuff that just completely makes it something that I would never want it to be exactly like you're saying with, you know, selecting work that you're going to post based on how popular it's going to be. Like, I just have zero interest in any of that. Yeah, no, I, I think you're someone that actually, I would say you have uh, two, at least two things uh, going for you specifically that make your work um, something that does fairly well on Instagram too. I mean, your, your American Southwest subject matter is obviously something very relatable that a lot of people are really into and like, and again, sure. your, your images are also, you know, they're, they got to pop to them. They're, they're bold. They're not super subtle images. Usually. I mean, you have some that are more subtle, but your images are, uh, you know, your compositions and you, the color and everything is something that it's definitely striking that it grabs your eye. So that's the kind of stuff that does well on Instagram. And then you also are very engaged as far as, um, with your audience and stuff like that, which also seems to be one of the things that does help on Instagram um, as far as uh, even with the algorithms, the fact that you're very active with, you know, talking with other people and stuff like that, it sees that stuff and says, oh, this is a person that like is doing a lot of stuff. So we should be more supportive of them. Um, and then the other thing is that too, and this is something I would still recommend if someone's looking to try to get started. I mean, one, do not expect things to be the way they used to be mm -hmm. as far as growing followers and stuff. Cause it's, I think those days are gone. Like it's one of those popularity begets popularity the same way, you know, wealthy people, it's easy for them to get more wealth because they have already wealth to spend on things and to invest in things mm -hmm. the way Instagram works. If you're already more popular, it'll be happy to try to give you more people. But if you're, if you're having, you know, struggling to get traction, it, it's not very supportive as far as, you know, getting your work in front of people for the first time. For sure. Um, but something I do think though, that helps as far as if you are looking to kind of try to make Instagram a platform and a way to show your work is to try to do it in a way that at least has some degree of consistency that you're, you're actually posting your your serious work on there. You know, you're yeah. actually posting your your real photography and not just, you know, like just random snapshotty pictures or, you know, uh your friend's dog or your last <laughs> meal or whatever. In kind of the the original way that Instagram um was used, I mean that's kind of what it was originally for. And like I said, when I when I first joined in 2015, um there was still, that was still kind of the main thing on Instagram, I think. But then there was this kind of smaller, you know, subset community of fine art photographers and, uh, you know, pages like Subjectively Objective that were, you know, curating and featuring work. And then, um, so, and then these were people too that are actually 
posting things that people actually want to see. You know, they actually want to see interesting photographs. And so like, I mean, I think that's totally how I attribute any success I had on that is that I was back then with the way things worked, I was showing things people wanted to see. And so then people started to follow me. Um, and I still think if you are trying to, you know, grow what you're doing, actually showing your real work that people want to see is important to do that. Mm -hmm. If you do want to use it in more of the, just, I'm going to just post whatever I feel like way that's fine. But you know, if someone finds your page, unless you're already a known entity to them, that they already know your other work from, you know, online or, you know, real gallery shows, or they know you personally, like, you know, just some random person who comes across with you probably doesn't care about your cat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so like, if that's the picture, they see a bunch of that when they go to click on your page, if they see one image that you post that they really do like, you know, you're probably not a must follow for them. Yeah. Um, but if it is, they go and say, oh, hey, here, this guy's got more work that I do like, you know, there's, there's still a way to get traction doing it that way. Um, although, like I said, I, I don't think things will ever be the same way they, they used to be now that they've, uh, you know, changed things. But it, I think there's still, still good opportunities. And I mean, I've had, I've had a lot of great opportunities, experiences myself, and hopefully I've given a lot of other people good experiences and opportunities, you know, through Instagram. But, uh, but actually the, the more I go forward with things, the more I want to, uh, always trying to expand things more into other, you know, outside of that. Um, it's kind of, I feel like I kind of took the, uh, the back door through becoming a curator. You know, I didn't originally, uh, start out in maybe the more traditional way that people did. It wasn't like someone said, Hey, like, here's this job as a curator. Like you're a curator now. I just, mm -hmm. I just started doing it. Um, and then kind of went from there. And then even with publishing stuff, you know, I originally had an idea that I wanted to start publishing zines back in 2009. And like, it never really, it, you know, back then I feel like it was very hard to, okay, I have things I want to make, but I don't have any audience to show them to. Um, and so going from there, it's really difficult. And so it wasn't until I feel like I kind of discovered Instagram as an idea and then saw that, you know, you having positive engagements and relationships with people on there that like, Hey, maybe this is something I can start doing and started publishing, uh, the mini monographs and kind of start growing from there. Well, I got to say, I love what you're doing with subjectively objective. And, um, I've been a, been a fan obviously ever since I came across your page, uh, which was pretty early into my Instagram journey. Cause I haven't been on there for too, too long, a few years now. Um, and then I also just love, you know, the opportunities that you give people, um, obviously the work that you put out, it's all, it's all, um, you know, great. And I, I'm, I'm excited to see, um, where you go with things next. And I guess, um, to, to kind of wrap things up, the one question I would have is say for anyone who is, um, hasn't ever approached a curator or gallery and who hasn't put out any physical work, but, you know, maybe is a little intimidated by that whole process. Like if people want to re reach out to you. Um, or, or, or interested in that, like what's a, what's a good, um, way to do that? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always happy to, to see people's, um, submissions as far as, like I said, I get a lot of submissions. And so unfortunately I actually don't usually get to respond to everyone just because I'm getting so many that I, 
I don't honestly have the time for to, sure. uh, to respond to everyone the way I'd like to be able to, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always happy to see people's work. Um, I, uh, am frequently now running uh, call for entry, um, things for, for books and exhibitions where there's a, a small entry fee, usually like $15 that goes towards the, uh, uh, producing a book. Um, and so then a bunch of people submit the money goes to actually making the, the final publication. And then everyone who submitted to it, whether their work got in the publication or not can still get a free copy of the book. So, um, you know, that's how I did the last one observations in the ordinary. I have a, I have another current one running right now. I don't know when the podcast will actually come out if it, it's about to end. So if that will even still be up at that point, but, um, you know, that's, that's something that, for those, that's a great way too, because even I also, after people have submitted to those calls, there's a lot of work that got submitted that even if something, maybe one of their images got in the book, maybe nothing did, but it's like, oh, you actually have a bunch of good stuff. You'd be great to to have their work in a magazine, or you know, maybe that's a way that I come across someone that I'd uh, look at doing work with for a, a bigger monograph. I mean, that's that's really my my direction now that I'm going to put a lot of energy into going towards um particularly this is it actually the timing worked out kind of well that's something i've already been wanting to do but having uh having more free time now with how covid stuff has has shaken out um and my other day job of running a custom lab is probably going to be kind of slow this year um so being able to put in more time and more focus on uh doing more uh you know larger scale projects doing more monographs with artists you know that's definitely something i'm always i'm always happy to see any work anyone wants to send me but i really would love to see more large scale well developed projects that are ready to be a book because uh i want to start publishing uh more books all the time so um but as far as uh, if someone's just starting out i think you know, if you are going to send something, sending someone your website is always a good thing. Um, but if you're even going to send work directly, you know, send your send your best work. Is if you have work that's kind of someone has to filter through and find the uh, the gems uh, within the kind of the rough of your other stuff. There, it's better not to make them do that. But that is even something though. I am I am happy to look through stuff and and find those those gems within there, even if there's not a lot of them. Um, you know, they're mixed in with some stuff that's not of the same quality, but I definitely, you know, even showing it to me, someone who's willing to look in through that stuff, I'm obviously going to be much more drawn to and taken with someone's work if I see it and everything I see is good right off the bat. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. That's great advice. And, uh, I think just this conversation as a whole, there's a ton of value for people and, uh, it's really, it's been great to chat with you just because I, I feel like, um, we've touched on some topics that uh are are unique in a sense because i mean everyone else i've i've um interviewed to this point has been just purely a photographer not you know no one who's run a gallery or anything like that so um yeah i think there's a lot of uh a lot of info in here for people who want to um you know start uh getting a little more involved in uh in this physical kind of product side of their work so um yeah, I think this is going to be great. And uh, as for subde- uh, subjectively objective, if people want to uh, check out uh, what you're doing over there, the website's probably the best option, I'm assuming. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, you can see what I'm doing on Instagram too. But yeah, definitely, definitely go to the website subjectivelyobjective.com. Um, actually, just one other thing. I know we've been talking for a while now, but actually, something else. Just one other thing I thought would actually be really helpful to share sure. for people who are thinking of doing a book, whether they're submitting work to someone or you know working with uh, another publisher, or whether they're self-publishing. Something really important to uh, think about, and this is actually the biggest thing I could say about all work that I see. Most people's photographs are too dark. Hmm. Um, and so particularly when you go into offset printing something, if your image is already too dark, it's going to look extremely, extremely muddy. Um, so that's something to think about that, uh, you know, just because particularly, and I think a lot of that kind of streams from a lot of people shooting mostly digitally now that it's kind of like, it's digital, it's in color, and so you see an image and you're like, hey, that looks basically like it looked in real life, this must be fine. But like, that's, whatever your camera captured is generally not the final thing. That just needs to be the starting point. And from there, you know, a, a correct uh, exposure with the right amount of density and something that's correctly color balanced is not necessarily something that's just gonna come out of your camera by itself. Mm -hmm. So. Um, that's definitely something to think about, though, that a lot of stuff is really, really dark to begin with. And so if you go to print with those same files that were already dark, it's not going to turn out super well. So, um, you know, think about having your if you're looking at stuff on a screen, um, you know, if you don't have any type of color uh, calibration equipment that even can help with this, still be thinking about the actual accurate level of where your screen brightness should be is mm -hmm. probably down closer to 50% brightness, maybe even less than that, depending on what your screen is. But it's definitely not full brightness because if you're looking at something on a screen that's really bright, it may look great on there, but then once it goes off to someone who has a dimmer screen, then the image looks dark. Or definitely once it goes off to a printer, it's going to be really dark. And so... Yeah, making sure things things aren't too dark, particularly when you're going to print, making sure they have enough brightness and then enough contrast too. Because again, when with the printing process, particularly offset printing uh, in CMYK, if things don't have enough natural contrast, they're gonna they're gonna really struggle um, being reproduced well. So, uh, as far as getting your files looking the very best they can before you go to the printing process you're going to be in much better shape with that. And so, you know, that's something that uh, if you're, if that's not something you're comfortable with yourself or you feel like you need help with that, I mean, you should be, uh, you know, finding someone to work with that can help you with that. Obviously I'm one of those type of people that that's something when I work on people with their books, that's a big part of what I'm doing is I'm making sure that any editing and color correction that needs to be done, like, I'm helping out with that because, you know, I want their work to look great, but I also, uh, I want the book to look great and as best as it can. Um, and so I also even end up helping out quite a few artists who I might not be publishing their book. Maybe they're working with another publisher or they're self-publishing, helping that, that kind of stuff. Like I said, that's one of the things I do with my, my lab work is helping people with their color stuff and working with their files a lot, but it's definitely really important um, to be thinking about that, particularly when you're going into publication, because 
if you're not thinking about it, your your book, your your magazine, whatever it is, it's not going to look the best it can if your uh, if your files didn't look the best they could uh, when you sent them off to print. So 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 important. I'm glad you mentioned that. I, and I even know, for me, years ago when I first got into the, you know calibration and stuff, I remember the first time I calibrated my screen, and uh, you know it it had me. Uh, adjust when it measured to the the recommended luminance level i couldn't believe when i dropped the brightness down to like 25 percent or whatever and it, i would my eyes were obviously used to looking at my screen at full brightness for so long that it took me a couple hours to adjust and for those first couple hours i'm like this can't be right the screen seems so incredibly dim. <laughs> yeah it's, if, 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 if you don't know it's actually gonna the first time you look at it, it's gonna be kind of painful you're gonna be like oh my gosh this is so dark i how can i even do anything with this screen but that's one of those things you got to realize like you do you kind of have to commit to that because if you don't, when you're doing your editing work, maybe your file looks great on your monitor, but it's not going to look great on anyone else's and it's definitely not going to look great in print. So, yeah. uh, so that's, that's a really important thing that, um, and like I said, that's probably the biggest thing that I see out of all the work that I look at. And definitely when it comes to me making, putting together a book, whether it's a, a monograph I'm working on with an artist or even, you know, a, a survey compilation book, you know, I end up doing a lot of work to all the files that get sent in because they're, you know, they're coming from a lot of different places, different artists. Not everyone has the same technical ability or mm-hmm. even the way they're seeing things, but I want the book to look good. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, doing that work to them, getting everything looking nice and consistent as far as, you know, uh, density and, and color too. I mean, color is a big thing too. That's something that a lot of people struggle with and, and need help with is that, you know, the way you see colors on things and, you know, is, is this thing, you know, is this three points magenta? Would it, you know, you really, when you think of color things, the best way to think about it is when the colors are all corrected properly, everything is going to really have the most uh, color contrast and pop to it. If you have too much of one color, you can kind of equate it to, uh, I mean, some people will know like print viewing filters um, but even something, if you've never looked at those, think of it if you've ever looked through like colored lens sunglasses, like mm-hmm. the world all is the contrast of everything is totally flattened out because it's like you're looking at it through a, you know, a yellow lens or a cyan lens or a magenta lens. And then if you take that away, it's like, oh, things are back to their vivid full color when that's not there. So, um, you know, that's something to think about too, that when you make those Investing the time and in, in getting things uh, corrected properly, particularly for any instance, but really when you go to print, that stuff becomes even more important because uh, even if you're going to be someone, you're let's say you're getting something done and then you go on press, there's only so many adjustments you can actually make at that point once the plates are made. You really need to be making the adjustments before you get to that step and before uh, you know you're sending off the files. So. That's that's one of the biggest pieces of advice I could give. That's great, man. Yeah, super important. And I think uh, something that people who maybe don't have any experience in this world necessarily wouldn't think of. So I'm glad, uh, definitely glad you mentioned that. Um, but yeah, this is great, man. I, I really like where the, the conversation went. Um, when it comes to subjectively objective, you so you have, you said your mini monographs um, and then the, the larger monthly monograph. Uh, that's something that people you do on like a subscription basis as well, correct? 
Yeah, yeah. People can buy the issues when they come out, but then I also have quite a few subscribers, and people are welcome to subscribe. Um, and you know, then they'll basically it's for the people who like the kind of stuff I'm doing and just wanna wanna just have them show up without having to come back and remember that a new issue came out and wanting to buy it. It just just keeps on coming to you, and um, you know, there's a little bit of variety that you get with stuff although it's all very much in the subjectively objective type of you know style of things that i'm doing so um and then and then like i said the other thing too uh bigger books are something that there's 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 more on the way all the time and that will be a, a bigger focus continuing going forward although i'll continue to do the stuff with the magazines because i feel like that's a an important way to um particularly for people just starting out it's it's a nice way for them to help them get their stuff out too even if someone's stuff wasn't ready to do a you know a full-on monograph book of it's still nice for them to be able to get their work in a publication and you know get it out there that some people will be able to to see it and enjoy it well that's awesome man and uh, you know what i'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this are probably already familiar with uh with a lot of the work you do but if for some reason uh, you aren't. You should definitely uh, hop over there and, and and check it out. There's a lot of great stuff over on uh, on the website. But um, yeah, no, this was great. I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I'm sure we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Okay, take care. Okay, so I hope you all enjoyed that interview. A lot of value, I feel like, in that one. I know personally, for me, it gave me a lot to think about and it will probably change the way that I approach some things in the future with my own work. Anyways, just want to say thank you all again uh, for listening to this show. And also thanks just for the messages that you send uh, and the ratings and the reviews and the comments and all that kind of stuff. Uh, really does mean a lot. If you aren't yet following the show on Instagram, uh, you can check out the page at Contact Sheet Podcast. And if you do have some free time and you feel like leaving a rating or review on whichever podcast platform you use, that would be hugely appreciated. It really does help. Uh, So that would be awesome. Anyways, until next week, uh, thank you all again. And I hope you're all doing well and we'll talk to you soon.